Hey, Forge family. In the Colossian epistle, the study that we're pursuing, in podcast number three last week, uh, we highlighted Paul's prayer for the church in Colossae, set in a town in Asia Minor. He was praying that they would be filled with wisdom, knowledge of God, understanding, and discernment. The results of the Colossians receiving those four elements of grace from God releases all power to strengthen them and us to endure, to stand firm in our place in the body of Christ, and to express patience and joy. Then thanksgiving to Father God flows back to him, for he has delivered us from the tyranny of the rule of darkness, and we've been supernaturally lifted up and set in the kingdom of light, snatched from Satan and placed under the reign of Christ Jesus as Lord. That shift, that redemption, was accomplished by the paying of a ransom, something we could not do, but was done for us by the shed blood of Jesus on the cross. When the Colossians received that supernatural redemption by faith, their sins were removed and forgiven, just as ours are if we receive the work of God by the only begotten Son and his death on the cross. Let's pray. Lord, we know that your death on the cross was once for all, and so is the salvation of souls who receive that work by faith. We are so grateful. We keep saying, we keep praying, and we keep preaching our thanks. Your plan of salvation is still at work, and we long for our place in that work as your sons and daughters. In Jesus' name. All right, Forge family, gather up your Bibles, notebooks, pens, coffee cups, and settle into the arms of his love to keep learning more of this great salvation. We begin podcast number four with verse 15 of Colossians chapter 1. And here many Bible scholars see verses 15 to 20 as a hymn. Filled with personal pronouns, relative clauses, parallels, and a sense of balance, it feels self-contained in these verses. Likewise, Philippians chapter 2 verses 5 to 11, 1 Timothy 3.16, Hebrews chapter 1 verses 1 to 3, and 1 Peter 2, 22 to 25, all have similar lyrical expressions. See, there's other passages as well in the New Testament that are poetic and seem to be repeated refrains. It's known that the ecclesia, the gathering of believers, used psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs to help new believers understand and put their feet solidly into the transfer from the, the past their past darkness into a world where Jesus, risen Messiah, reigns over all political, economic, and military powers in the natural, and rules over all supernatural powers in the earth, under the earth, and in the heavens. These hymns were used to teach content and confession. <clears throat> Some 30 years ago, upon departure from a church where we had been rooted and discipled, added to leadership, and then 19 years on, dismissed, we as a family went church visiting. 
One such was an evangelical Orthodox congregation meeting in the Santa Cruz Mountains. We were ushered into the, in as guests and, and, and shown politely to some pews that we could sit in off to the side, but the, the main auditorium was a high domed structure where sound was just awesome sound inside that room. And, uh, but then we were invited to stand and sing with the congregation. Um, and for the next two hours, they sang and stood and, and out of their mouth came their beliefs, set to, set to music, their beliefs, their doctrines, their worship, all memorized and all sung a cappella. It was awesome. They were a continuing, continuing a 2,000-year-old tradition. And most of what we heard that morning was right on. Paul proclaims that Jesus is the image of the invisible God. The word Paul chose for image is icon in Greek. And it refers to a precise, intentional, exact reproduction or re a representation of a prototype. Then, as now, you could see an example of that kind of language in the proof coins struck from a die to precisely, repetitively make exact copies of the original. Paul is saying that Jesus Christ is the very stamp, the very image of God. Let's read what Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1 to 3 says. It says this, God, after he spoke long ago to the fathers and the prophets, in many portions and in many ways, in these last days has spoken to us in his Son, whom he appointed heir to, of all things, through whom also he made the world. And he, meaning Jesus, is the radiance of God's glory, of his glory, and the exact representation of of God's nature and upholds all things by the word of his power. When he had made purification of sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. This exact replica is of an invisible God. Now, John 14, 9 is where Jesus answered Thomas saying, he who has seen me has seen the father. The Greek word for invisible is auratos, meaning not visible, at least in the natural. Okay, It's unseen. It's concealed. If you want to see God, you look at Jesus. And then Paul continues to describe Jesus Christ as the firstborn of creation. Now, note here, he, Jesus, was begotten. All else all creation was made. It was spoken into existence. Now, both the North African heretic, Arius, and the modern Jehovah's Witnesses take the statement of Christ is the firstborn of creation, entirely out of context, mind you, and they make Jesus less than deity. The heresy of Arius posed Jesus as more than man, but less than God. The context here in Colossians states that Jesus is the creator, the Lord of all creation. Verse 16 continues with Paul pointing out that in Christ, all things were created, 
the grammar here says that creation has a definite historical stamp, and all things stand and remain created, both the visible and the invisible, both the natural and the supernatural. Of the latter, the supernatural, Paul says that the thrones, dominions, rulers, and authorities are expressed, uh, are, are expressed and held by spiritual powers, both holy and fallen. Angels that are holy, angels that are fallen. And it's also held by demons and men. Paul is anchoring all that to a Christocentric universe. Those fallen created beings, demons, hold sway over impersonal powers, ideologies, systematic evil embedded into societal and political structure. They remain empowered until overthrown by the kingdom of God. In verse 17, Paul continues and says, he proclaims Christ as supreme in both time and rank. And he himself, Christ himself, is the sustainer of all things. For centuries, artists have tried to illustrate, write, sing, or imagine what that sustaining authority and power looks like and sounds like. It is still beyond us. Just as Christ himself is the sustainer, he himself is the head of the body. The church, the ecclesia, that latter word imparts authority. The assignment of honor, the assignment to honor and host the presence of the Lord and to gather in his name to pursue kingdom advance. That description doesn't sound much like most expressions of the word, quote, church, unquote. See, we, we are living parts of the body. Christ is first in the spiritual realm as he is in the natural realm. J.B. Lightfoot said of Christ, He is the head, the inspiring, ruling, guiding, combining, sustaining power, the mainspring of the church's activity, the center of its unity, and the seat of of its life. Paul continues in 18, he says that Christ is also the, the arche, the beginning. He is the origin of the ecclesia, the firstborn and the first fruits, if you will, out from among the dead. He was raised to life, for he is the source of life. His resurrection was so that he might come to have first rank. First place, supremacy in everything. Verse 19 start with, starts with the phrase, for it was the Father's good pleasure. Uh, it's also repeated in, in the Greek text in, in verse 20. So, you know, it's sort of, there's two things here that please the Father. Okay, the first one is that, that Christ was filled up with the fullness, with the pleroma of who God himself was. 
so that Christ could express the totality of the divine powers and attributes that in Christ dwelt, or another way to say that is that in Christ the fullness of God as deity was permanently at home. In verse 20, the purpose of God for his fullness in Christ pleased him to reconcile, to make one again, to bring face to face so that relationships are restored. Not only mankind, but also creation is reconciled to Christ. In 2001, I remember standing in a fishy breeze at the fishing port where the, where the fleets, the fishing fleets were, were um, in the harbor in La Plata, Argentina. Unknown to the nation as a whole, and especially unknown to the fishermen, corrupt members of the previous ruling junta in Argentina had secretly sold the rights to other nations to fish inside Argentina's territorial waters. Those nations, unmentioned here, those nations sent factory ships to the South Atlantic and dragnetted everything that swims, processing their overwhelming catch in the factory ships to send home to their markets. In so doing, those sea raiders swept away all the fishing stocks off the coast. The fisheries and related injuries, uh, in, industries had collapsed. There were no fish to be caught. But that day, standing in that harbor, was Cindy Jacobs. She's a prophet to nations, a Baptist minister's daughter. And she stood in that harbor and prayed and then proclaimed the supernatural restoration of Argentina's fisheries because Christ Jesus is Lord of all creation and of all creatures. Within weeks, that harbor was empty because the fish had returned. And the, the, fish, the fishery was rejuvenated. The fishermen had their lives back again. And the waters teemed with God's fish. The authority of God over all things is set in place forever because Christ concluded peace, if you will. That's how it's translated. He bound together the brokenness of the fall of mankind and the fall of creation, making peace. His own blood was the final, complete peace offering. In Christ, harmony may now be restored. Then Paul directly addresses the Colossians. See, their former lives had been a swamp. Such are some of us, okay? They were alienated from God, estranged from grace, filled with active intentional hatred towards God himself, resulting in their pernicious deeds and attitudes. Yet, verse 22, Christ has reconciled, made as one, the Colossians and all of us who by faith cling to him. 
in his fleshly body through his death in order to be able to present, to offer us, to offer the Colossians to God, holy and blameless, irreproachable. There's no charge can be brought against them. There's no charge can be brought against you. You are positively consecrated and set apart by the blood of Christ. Verse 23 starts with an interesting word. It says, if, if indeed you continue in faith. Now, the if clause here is one that reads positive in Greek. It isn't if and, oh man, you're blowing it. Okay? It's if and you are. Okay? All that before of being presented into the presence of God, blameless and irreproachable and holy, that assumes that you're holding to faith. Firmly established, not moving away from the hope of the gospel you heard and received. Paul is saying, you were placed once and for all on that faith foundation. And you're not being shaken or shifted. That gospel, the supreme good news of Christ's resurrection and reign, has been announced to the universe. And Paul has been made a minister a servant of that gospel. Ford's family, these verses have been some of, if not the highest, statements of the Father's plan and of Jesus the Christ's powers displayed in all creation. Let's, re let's return back to verse 17. In that verse it says, He is supreme in time and rank. He, Christ himself is the sustainer of all things. Now, since that statement is demonstrably true by scientific, scientific evidence, by emotions, by ministries that, that see lives transformed in Christ with a flow of miracles and healings, is he not also in first place in everything? His values, his judgments, his love, his presence is to be loosed by the ecclesia into the family. With a high view of marriage, a high view of parenting, a high view of the marriage bed and of the threefold strand of husband, wife, and Holy Spirit bound together there in the family, he is to be first. In the church, with a high view of worship, prayer, scripture, discipleship, and compassionate ministry to the lost. He is to be first. In the marketplace, with Christ filling employers and employees who then express godly attitudes, ethics, integrity, and performance, he is to be first. In media and entertainment, in the arts and in the music, in the performances and the creativity, and all the things that we watch and consume, he is to be first. In government, in law, judgment, enforcement, representation, statecraft, in financial dealings with transparency and integrity, and in leadership, he is to be first. And in our personal lives, 
in, in seeming private conversation, in pleasures and eating and play and sports endeavors, in whatever we put our hand to, he is to be first. All right, Forge, let's pray. Holy, omnipotent one, we bow before you. You rank first. You are God supreme. And there is none other like you. Only you love us and sent your son to reconcile us to you. We are filled with thanksgiving and praise for your work in us to make us sons and daughters of the king. We give you first place. In Jesus' name, amen. Forge, I love you. We'll see you soon. God bless.